Okay, welcome everyone to our study of the Visuddhi Manga. Robin, you want to take it over? Sure, we're on page 143, section 119. And could you start us off, Aurora? Uh, yes, I can. Now, as to the words, and so he has attained the first jhana of the earth casino. Here it is first because it starts a numerical series. Also, it is first because it arises first. It is called jhana because of lighting the object and because of burning up opposition. The disk of earth is called earth casino in the sense of entirety, and the sign acquired with that as its support is also the jhana acquired in the earth casino sign are so called too. So that jhana should be understood as of the earth casino in this sense, with reference to which is it was said above, and so he has attained to the first jhana of the earth casino. Thank you, David. Could you read 120? Okay. When it has been attained in this way, the mode of its attainment must be discerned by the meditator, as if he were a hair-splitter or, or a cook. For when a very skillful archer, who is working to split a hair, actually splits the hair on one occasion, he discerns the modes of the position of his feet, the bow, the bowstring, and the arrow thus. I split the hair as I stood thus, with the bow thus, the bowstring thus, the arrow thus. From then on, he recaptures those same modes and repeats the splitting of the hair without fail. So too the meditator must discern such modes as that of suitable food, etc., thus. I attain this after eating this food, attending on such a person, in such a lodging, in this posture, at this time. In this way, when that absorption is lost, he will be able to recapture those modes and renew the absorption, or while familiarizing himself with it, he will be able to repeat that absorption again and again. And just as when a skilled cook is serving his employer, he notices whatever he chooses to eat from and then brings only that sort and so obtains a reward, so too this meditator discerns such modes as that of the food, etc., at the time of the attaining, and he recaptures them and reobtains absorption each time it is lost. So he must discern the modes as a hair splitter or a cook does. And this has been said by the Blessed One, Bhikkhus, suppose a wise, clever, skillful cook, set various kinds of sauces before a king or a king's minister, such as sour, bitter, sharp, sweet, peppery, and unpeppery, salty and unsalty sauces. Then the wise, clever, skillful cook learned his master's sign. Thus, today this sauce pleased my master. Or he held out his hand for this one. Or he took a lot of this one. Or he praised this one. Or today the sour kind pleased my master or he held out his hand for the sour kind, or he took a lot of the sour kind, or he praised the sour kind, or he praised the unsalty kind. Then the wise, clever, skillful cook is rewarded with clothing and wages and presents. Why is that? 
because that wise, clever, skillful cook learned his master's sign in this way. So too, bhikkhus, here a wise, clever, skillful bhikkhu dwells contemplating the body as a body. He dwells contemplating feelings as feelings, consciousness as consciousness, mental objects as mental objects, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. As he dwells contemplating mental objects as mental objects, his mind becomes concentrated, his defilements are abandoned. He learns the sign of that. Then that wise, clever, skillful bhikkhu is rewarded with a happy abiding, here and now. He is rewarded with mindfulness and full awareness. Why is that? Because that wise, clever, skillful bhikkhu learned his consciousness's sign. And when he recaptures those modes by apprehending the sign, he just succeeds in reaching absorption, but not in making it last. It lasts when it is absolutely purified from states that obstruct uh, concentration. When a bhikkhu enters upon a jhana without first completely suppressing lust, by reviewing the dangers and sense desires, etc., and without first completely tranquilizing bodily irritability by tranquilizing the body, and without first completely removing stiffness and torpor by bringing to mind the element of initiative, etc., and without first completely abolishing agitation and worry by bringing to mind the sign of serenity, etc., and without first completely purifying his mind of other states that obstruct concentration, then that bhikkhu soon comes out of that jhana again, like a bee that has gone into an unpurified hive, like a king who has gone into an unclean park. But when he enters upon a jhana after first completely purifying his mind of states that obstruct concentration, then he remains in that attainment even for a whole day, like a bee that has gone into a completely purified hive, like a king who has gone into a perfectly clean park. Hence the ancients said, So let him dispel any sensual lust and resentment, agitation as well, and then torpor, and doubt as the fifth. There let him find joy with a heart that is glad in seclusion, like a king in a garden where all and each corner is clean. So if he wants to remain long in the jhana, he must enter upon it after first purifying his mind from obstructive states. Extension of the sign. In order to perfect the development of consciousness, he should besides extend the counterpart sign according as acquired. Now, there are two planes for extension, namely access and absorption. For it is possible to extend it on reaching access and on reaching absorption. But the extending should be done consistently in one or the other, which is why it was said, he should, besides, extend the counterpart sign according as acquired. The way to extend it is this. The meditator should not extend the sign as a clay ball or a cake or boiled rice or a creeper or a piece of cloth is extended. He should first delimit with his mind successive sizes for the sign according according as acquired, that is to say, one finger, two fingers, 
three fingers, four fingers, and then extend it by the amount delimited. Just as a plowman delimits with the plow the area to be plowed, and then plows within the area delimited. Or just as bhikkhus fixing a boundary first observe the, observe the marks, and then fix it. He should not, in fact, extend it without having delimited the amount it is to be extended by. After that has been done, he can further extend it, doing so by delimiting successive boundaries of, say, a span, eratana, two spans, the veranda, the surrounding space, the monastery, the boundaries of the village, the town, the district, the kingdom, and the ocean, making the extreme limit the world sphere or even beyond. Pandit, can you just remind me what the sign is? Okay, so in this case, he has taken a disc of earth and studied that. And then one tries to close one's eyes and see the same colored disc uh, with one's eyes closed. That's called the learning sign. Uh, once, one ha once one is clever in the learning sign and doesn't, no longer needs the actual object, one then goes into one's room, closes one's eyes, and focuses on this image of the clay disc uh, in one's mind. Eventually, based on that image of earth, and one saying earth, 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 there arises the uh, countersign, uh, whatever it's called, right? counterpart sign, which is pure, which is no longer based on the original object, it's just a pure circle of the concept earth, so it's it's the epitome of earth, that's what's being talked about here, is the counterpart sign, and now one is making it larger, basically. Okay, thank you very much. Just as the young swans first start to use their wings soar a little distance at a time, and by gradually increasing it, eventually reach the presence of the moon and sun, so too when a bhikkhu extends the sign by successive delimitations in the way described, he can extend it up to the limit of the world sphere or even beyond. Then the sign appears to him like an ox hide stretched out with a hundred pegs over the earth's ridges and hollows, river ravens, uh, tracts of scrub and thorns, and rocky inequalities in any area to which it has been extended. When a beginner has stretched the first jhana in this sign, he should enter upon it often without reviewing it, too, reviewing it much. For the first jhana factors occur crudely and weakly in one who reviews it much. Then because of that they do, they do not become conditions for higher, in, higher endeavors. While he is endeavoring for the unfamiliar higher jhana, he falls away from the first jhana and fails to reach the second. Uh, Bhante, with, with regards to the earth kasina, when you close your eyes, uh, in which color you see it? Because I have tried the uh, blue kasina and when I close my eyes, I see it in uh, yellow, actually. And the red one, I see it in green. 
So uh, is it mentioned here? I don't, I don't, rem I don't remember it saying anything like that. It should, if you're doing the blue casino, when you close your eyes, it's, eyes it should still be blue. Uh, it's kind of a bright yellow, if I remember right. But uh, the red one, I clearly remember as being uh, visible as green, a, a bright green one. Yeah, no, that's wrong. That means you're not, as far as I know, I mean, I, I'm not the expert on all this, but if you're doing the red casino, when you close your eyes, it should be red. I see. Because you're still going to be repeating to yourself, red, red, red. So it's a sign that you haven't fully uh, developed the the learner sign yet. Okay. Thank you. Bhante, would you read 130? Hence the Blessed One said, Bhikkhus, suppose there were a foolish, stupid mountain cow with no knowledge of fields and no skill in walking on craggy mountains who thought, What if I walked in a direction I never walked in before, ate grass I never ate before, drank water I never drank before? And without placing her forefoot properly, she lifted up her hind foot. Then she would not walk in the direction she never walked in before, or eat the grass she never ate before, or drink the water she never drank before. And also she would not get back safely to the place where she had thought, what if I walked in a direction I never walked in before, and drank water I never drank before. Why is that? Because that mountain cow was foolish and stupid, with no knowledge of fields, and no skill in walking on craggy mountains. So too, bhikkhus, here is, a here is a certain foolish, stupid bhikkhu with no knowledge of fields and no skill, quite secluded from sense desires, secluded from unprofitable things, in entering upon and dwelling in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied thought and sustained thought, with happiness and bliss born of seclusion. He does not repeat, develop, or cultivate that sign or properly establish it. He thinks... What if, with the subsiding of applied and sustained thought, I entered upon and dwelt in the second jhana, which is, etc., etc., with happiness and bliss born of concentration? He is unable, with the subsiding of applied and sustained thought, to enter upon and dwell in the second jhana, which is, etc., etc., with happiness and bliss born of concentration. Then he thinks... What if, quite secluded from sense desires, secluded from unprofitable things, I entered upon and dwelt in the first jhana, which is, etc., etc., with happiness and bliss born of seclusion? He is unable, quite secluded from sense desires, secluded from unprofitable things, to enter upon and dwell in the first jhana, which is, etc., etc., with happiness and bliss born of seclusion. This bhikkhu is called one who has slipped between the two, who has fallen between the two, just like the foolish, stupid mountain cow, with no knowledge of fields and no skill in walking on craggy mountains. I guess the idea is he tries for something that he is not skilled in and he falls from it, but then he's also not able to go back to the earlier jhana because it is, his concentration has already been upset. I think that's what's being said here.
Therefore, he should acquire mastery in the five ways first, with respect to the first jhana. Herein, these are the five kinds of mastery. Mastery in adverting, mastery in attaining, mastery in resolving, studying the duration, mastery in emerging, and mastery in reviewing. He adverts to the first jhana where, when, and for as long as he wishes. He has no difficulty in adverting, thus it is mastery in adverting. He attains the first jhana where he has no difficulty in attaining, thus it is mastery in attaining. And all of the rest should be quoted in detail. The explanation of the meaning here is this. When he emerges from the first jhana, and first of all adverts to the applied thought, then, next to the ad next to the adverting that arose, interrupting the life continuum, either four or five Im impulsions impel with that applied thought as their object. Then there are two life continuum consciousnesses. Then there is adverting with the sustained thought as its object, and followed by impulsions in the way just stated. When he is able to prolong his conscious process uninterruptedly in this way, with the five jhana factors, then his mastery of adverting is successful. But this mastery is found at its acme of perfection in the Blessed One's twin marvel, or for others on the aforesaid occasions. There is no quicker mastery in adverting than that. The Venerable Maha Moggallana his ability to enter upon jhana quickly, as in the taming of a royal naga serpent, Nandopananda, is called mastery in attaining. Ability to remain in jhana for a moment, for a moment consisting in exactly a finger snap, or exactly ten finger snaps, is called mastery in resolving, steadying the duration. Ability to emerge quickly in the same way is called mastery in emerging. The story of the elder Buddha Rakita may be told in order, order to illustrate both uh, these last eight, both these last eight years after his admission to the community that uh, elder was sitting in the midst of thirty thousand bhikkhus possessed in possessed of supernormal powers who had gathered to attend upon the sickness of the elder Mahārohana Maha Gutta at uh, Therabhathala. He saw a royal uh, supanna bird swooping down from the sky, intending to seize an attendant royal naga serpent as he was getting rice gruel accepted for the elder. The elder Buddha Rakita created the rock mean rock meanwhile and seizing the royal Naga by the arm. He pushed him inside it. The royal Supanna gave the rock a blow and made off. The senior elder remarked, Friends, if Rakita had not been there, we should have all have been put to shame. I remember this Supa uh, this bird I think this bird is an eagle, if I remember right. I think it's half bird. Oh no, supana. Uh, yeah, I think it might be half man, isn't it? Well, that's a Garuda.
I don't know. I heard it as an eagle one thing. I'm a bit skeptical about these stories, <laughs> personally. Don't think someone could put a bird inside a rock? Uh, no, I think uh, he covered the uh, the lay person with a rock. Oh, okay. So the bird cannot attack him. No, he so attacked, cannot attack the naga. He he pushed the snake into the 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 dragon, basically a dragon inside the rock. Ah, okay. I had a because Thank the uh, the 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 supanas and, and nagas are are enemies, and the supana is always trying to. Uh, trying to get the nagas. Now the story goes that the nagas uh, eat rocks, and that makes them too heavy for the supanas to carry away. So that the trick is for the supana to 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 grab the naga by the tail and hold it upside down, so it actually drops the rocks that are in its stomach. That's another one of those stories out there. Maybe it's the naga clan bande. I'm pretty sure this is talking about a, a dragon. Okay. Of course, Nagas could um, could transform themselves into humans, which is why the confusion about why this <sighs> this dragon is getting alms for the elder. Yeah, because in Sri Lanka we have we had. A clan called Naga and also Yaka. When the Buddha visited here, yeah, but Supanas eat Nagas. It's uh, the birds eat the snakes. Pretty sure that's what's going on here. So Nagas are snakes, but are they also dragons? They're dragons. I mean, snake is incorrect, but dragons are kind of snake-like. Okay. Bhante, can you read 136? Mastery in reviewing is described in the same way as mastery in adverting, for the reviewing impulsions are in fact those next to the adverting mentioned there. These five masteries are also used in insight meditation, or, well, in, in the attainment of Nibbana, so for the practice of uh, attaining cessation or... or uh, attainment of fruition one uh, can attain mastery can gain mastery in attaining or, you know, these five kind of masteries in regards this is a established practice so something to note that this isn't just for samatha meditation it's also used for nibbana which is also dealing with jhanas the attainment of nibbana is a type of jhana it's called lokuttara jhana Bhante, are you able to go back to number 132? I'm not sure I understand what are the four or five impulsions and the two life continuums. Life continuum is, is Bawanga. Impulsion, I think, is Javana. It's referring to Javana. So Javana is the karmically potent um, Minds. Well, not just karmically potent, it can also be functional, I assume. Um, 
but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. It's talking about the karmically. It's Abhidhamma. I mean, you really have to study Abhidhamma to understand what it is exactly. But it means four or five moments that are karmically uh, active. So they're going to create the result of the jhana. They're also going to affect one's one's future, probably one's in a, in a good way. They'll incline one closer to the Brahma realms. And the two light continuums are just functional consciousnesses that, that don't really take an object. They just continue the the chain. Uh, Bhante, when a person attains uh, enlightenment, uh, say when a person attains the Sotapanna state, this uh, life continuum ceases as well? Say again? Uh, the life continuum or the Bhavanga uh, process ceases as well when one attains uh, the Sotapanna state? Uh, the first. Well, Bhavanga doesn't continue, it arises and ceases. The, this, the jhana of any jhana is not Bhavanga. The, these, these two Bhavangas are happening um, before the jhanas. Then there's the jhana minds. If you look at the Abhidhamma, there are certain minds that are the attainment of of Nibbana, those minds take Nibbana as an object, and they're not Bhavanga. Bhavanga is just a moment that arises and then ceases. So you can't say Bhavanga ceases during Nibbana. It's all, Bhavanga are just specific minds that arise at certain times. Okay, thank you. And uh, I've also heard that Bhavanga has the uh, birth, karma, nimitta as the object. Is that Correct, Mate. Bhavanga has what? Uh, the birth karma. Uh, you, uh, in Paticca Sampada, they say uh, uh, Sankara Pacha Vinyana. So, uh, this, uh, when you are about to die, the karma nimitta comes to your mind. That nimitta uh, is the object of the Bhavanga uh, Chitta, uh, Patisanti Chitta. That's interesting. I'm, there's something like that. Like it's related. Your a person's rebirth is dependent, of course, on that that last moment, whether they have banya or or whether they are are a being a person who a being who has wisdom or not has wisdom. You know what are the the hetus, right? The roots. But uh, I'm not clear. It doesn't. It doesn't quite sound. It sounds surprising to me that. That it would every every bawanga would have as its object the kamanimita, or it's not always kamanimita. It's either kamanimita, kamanimita, gati nimita, kama kamanimita, or gati nimita. There's three. Yeah, one of one of those three. I mean, I've heard that uh, thought cannot arise without an object. Yeah, that makes sense. I just hadn't heard that uh, it was the the death death object so yeah sorry can't answer that but it sounds interesting thank you thank you now back to 137 when he has once acquired mastery in these five ways, then on emerging from the now familiar first jhana, he can regard the flaws in it in this way. This attainment is threatened by the nearness of the hindrances, and its factors are weakened by the grossness of the applied and sustained thought. He can bring the second jhana to mind as quieter, 
and so end his attachment to the first jhana and set about doing what is needed for attaining the second. When he has when he has emerged from the first jhana, applied and sustained thought appear gross to him as he reviews the jhana factors with mindfulness and full awareness, while happiness and bliss and unification of mind appear peaceful. Then, as he brings that same sign to mind as earth, earth, again and again, with the purpose of abandoning the gross factors and obtaining the peaceful factors, knowing now the second jhana will arise. There arises in him mind door adverting with that same earth kasina as its object, interrupting the life continuum. After that, either four or five impulsions impel on that same object, the last one of which is an impulsion of the fine material sphere belonging to the second jhana. The rest are of the sense sphere of the kinds already stated. And at this point, with the stilling of applied and sustained thought, he enters upon and dwells in the second jhana, which has internal confidence and singleness of mind without applied thought, without sustained thought, with happiness and bliss born of concentration. And so he has attained the second jhana, which abandons two factors, possesses three factors, is good in three ways, possesses ten characteristics, and is of the earth kasina. Herein, with the stilling of applied and sustained thought, with the stilling, with the surmounting of these two, namely applied thought and sustained thought, with their non-manifestation at the moment of the second jhana, is what is meant. Herein, although none of the states belonging to the first jhana exists in the second jhana, for the contact, etc., in the first jhana are one, and here they are another, it should be understood all the same that the phrase with the stilling of applied and sustained thought is expressed in this way in order to indicate that the attaining of the other jhanas, beginning with that of the second from the first, is affected by the surmounting of the gross factor in each case. Internal. Here one's own internal is intended, but that much is actually stated in Vibhanga to with the, the words internally in oneself. And since one's own internal is intended, the meaning here is this, born in oneself, generated in one's own continuity. Thank you. Pante, can you read 142? Sorry. Confidence. Confidence, it is faith that is called confidence. The jhana has confidence because it is associated with confidence as a cloth has blue color because it is associated with blue color. Or alternatively, that jhana is stated to have confidence because it makes the mind confident with the confidence possessed by it and by, dis by stilling the disturbance created by applied and sustained thought. And with this conception of the meaning, the word construction must be taken as confidence of mind. But with the first mentioned conception of the meaning, the words of mind must be construed with singleness.
Here is the construction of the meaning in that case. Unique, it comes up, thus it is single. The meaning is, it, it comes up as superlative, the best, because it is, it is not overtopped by applied and sustained thought. For the best is called unique in the world. Or it is permissible to say that when deprived of applied and sustained thought, it is unique without companion. Or alternatively, it evokes associated states, thus it is an evoker. The meaning is, it arouses. And that is unique in the sense of best, and it is an evoker. Thus, it is a unique evoker. This is a term for concentration. Then, since the second jhana gives distinguishedness to augments, the single thing, it gives singleness. But as this single thing is the minds of beings or souls, so singleness of mind is said. It might be asked, but does not this faith exist in the first jhana too, and also this concentration with the name of the th single thing? Then why is only this second jhana said to have confidence and singleness of mind? It may be replied as follows. It is because the, that first jhana is not fully confident owing to the disturbance created by applied and sustained thought, like water ruffled by ripples and wavelets. That is why, although faith does exist in it, it is not called confidence. And there too concentration is not fully evident because of the lack of full confidence. That is why it is not called singleness there. But in the second jhana, faith is strong, having got a footing in the absence of the impediments of applied and sustained thought. And concentration is also evident through having strong faith as its companion. That may be understood as the reason why only this jhana is described in this way. that much is actually stated in the Vibhanga too with the words confidence is faith having faith trust full confidence singleness of mind is steadiness of consciousness right concentration and this commentary on the meaning should not be understood as to conflict with the meaning stated in that way but on the contrary so as to agree and concur with it Without applied thought, without sustained thought, since it has been abandoned by development, there is no applied thought in this, or of this jhana. Thus it is without applied thought. The same explanation applies to sustained thought. Also it is said in the Vibhanga, so this applied thought and this sustained thought are quieted, quite quietened, stilled, set at rest, set quite at rest, done away with, quite done away with, dried up, quite dried up, made an end of. Hence, it is said, without applied thought, without sustained thought. Here it may be asked, has not this meaning already been established by the words, with the stilling of applied and sustained thought? So why is it said again, without applied thought, without sustained thoughts? It may be replied, yes, that meaning has already been established, but this does not indicate that meaning. Did we not say earlier the phrase with the stilling of applied and sustained thought is expressed in this way in order to indicate that the act of attaining the other jhanas, beginning with that of the second from the first, is effected by the surmounting of the gross factor in each case?
Besides, this confidence comes about with the act of stealing, not the darkness of defilement, but the applied and sustained thought. And the singleness comes about not as in a access jhana with the abandoning of the hindrances, nor as in the first jhana with the manifestation of the factors, but with the act, but with the act of stealing, the applied and sustained thought, so that first clause indicates the cause of confidence and singleness. In the same way, this jhana is without applied thought and without sustained thought, not as in the third and fourth jhanas, or as in the eye consciousness, etc., with just absence, but with the actual act of stealing the applied and sustained thought. So that uh, first clause also indicates the cause of the state without applied and sustained thought, it does not indicate the bare absence of applied and sustained thought. The bare absence of applied and sustained thought is indicated by this second clause, namely, without applied thought, without sustained thought. Consequently, it needs to be stated notwithstanding that the first has already been stated. Born of concentration, born of the first jhana concentration or born of associated concentration is the meaning. Herein, although the first was born of associated concentration too, still it is only this concentration that is quite worthy to be called concentration because of its complete confidence and extreme immobility due to absence of disturbance by applied and sustained thought. So only this jhana is called born of concentration, and that is in order to recommend it. With happiness and bliss is as already explained. Second, second in numerical series, also second because entered upon second. Then it was also said above, which abandons two factors, possesses three factors. Herein, the abandoning of two factors should be understood as the abandoning of applied thought and sustained thought. But while the hindrances are abandoned at the moment of the access of the first jhana, in the case of this jhana, the applied thought and sustained thought are not abandoned at the moment of its access. It is only at the moment of actual absorption that the jhanas arise without them. Hence, they are called its factors of abandoning. Its possession of three factors should be understood as the arising of the three, that is, happiness, bliss, and unification of mind. So when it is said in the Vibhanga, jhana, confidence, happiness, bliss, unification of mind, this is said figuratively in order to show that jhana with its equipment. But, accepting the confidence this jhana has literally three factors, qua factors, that have attained the characteristic of lighting. According as it is said, what is jhana of three factors on that occasion? It is happiness, bliss, unification of mind. The rest is as in the case of the first jhana. Once this has been obtained in this way, and he has mastery in the five ways already described, then on emerging from the now familiar second jhana, 
he can regard the flaws in it thus. This attainment is threatened by the nearness of applied and sustained thought. Whatever there is in it of happiness, of mental excitement, proclaims its grossness. And its factors are weakened by the grossness of the happiness so expressed. He can bring the third jhana to mind as quieter, and so end his attachment to the second jhana, and set about doing what is needed for attaining the third. When he has emerged from the second jhana, happiness appears gross to him as he reviews the jhana factors with mindfulness and full awareness, while bliss and unification appear peaceful. Then as he brings up that same sign to mind as earth, earth, again and again with the purpose of abandoning the gross factor and obtaining the peaceful factors, knowing now the third jhana will arise, there arises in him mind door adverting with that same earth casina as its object, interrupting the life continuum. After that, either four or five impulsions appell on that same object, the last one of which is an impulsion of the fine material sphere belonging to the third jhana. The rest are of the kinds already stated. And at this point, with the fading away of happiness as well, he dwells in equanimity, and mindful and fully aware, he feels bliss with his body. He enters upon and dwells in the third jhana, and on account of which uh, the noble ones announce, he dwells in bliss who has equanimity and is mindful, and so he has attained the third jhana, which abandons one factor, possesses two factors, is good in three ways, possesses ten characteristics, and is of the earth casina. Herein, with the fading way of happiness as well, Pitiyacaviraga, fading away is distaste for. or surmounting of happiness of the kind already described. But the words as well, cha, between the two words, pitiya and viraga, have the meaning of a conjunction. They conjoin to them either the word stilling or the expression the stilling of applied and sustained thought in the description of the second jhana. Herein, when taking them as conjoining stilling, the construction to be understood is with the fading away and, what is more, with the stilling of happiness. With this construction, fading away has the meaning of distaste, so the meaning can be regarded as with distaste for and with the stilling of happiness. But when taken as conjoining the words stilling of applied and sustained thought, then the construction to be understood is with the fading of happiness and further with the stilling of applied and sustained thought. With this construction, fading away has the meaning of surmounting. So this meaning can be regarded as with the surmounting of happiness and with the stilling of applied and sustained thought. Of course, applied and sustained thought have already been stilled in the second jhana too. However, this is said in order to show the path to this third jhana and in order to recommend it. For when with the stilling and applied and sustained thought is said, 
It is declared that the path to this jhana is necessarily by distilling of applied and sustained thought. And just as although mistaken view of individuality, etc., are not abandoned in the attaining of the third noble path, but in the first, yet when it is recommended by describing their abandonment thus, with the abandoning of the five lower fetters, that it awakens eagerness in those trying to attain the third noble path. So, too, when the stilling of applied and sustained thought is mentioned, though they are not actually stilled here, but in the second, this is a recommendation. Hence, the meaning expressed is this, with the surmounting of happiness and with the stilling of applied and sustained thought. He dwells in equanimity. It watches things as they arise. Thus, it is equanimity. It sees fairly, sees without partiality, is the meaning. A possessor of the third jhana is said to dwell in equanimity, since he possesses equanimity that is clear, abundant and sound. Equanimity is of ten kinds. Six-factored equanimity, equanimity as a divine abiding, equanimity as an enlightenment factor, equanimity of energy, equanimity about formations, equanimity as a feeling, equanimity about insight, equanimity as specific neutrality, equanimity of jhana, and equanimity of purification. John, can you read 157? Herein, six-factored equanimity is a name for the equanimity in one whose cankers are destroyed. It is the mode of non-abandonment of the natural state of purity when desirable or undesirable objects of the six kinds come into focus and the six doors described thus. Here, a bhikkhu whose cankers are destroyed is neither glad nor sad on seeing a visible object with the eye. He dwells in equanimity, mindful and fully aware. Equanimity as a divine abiding is a name for equanimity consisting in the mode of neutrality towards beings described thus. He dwells intent upon one quarter, with his heart endued with equanimity. Equanimity as enlightenment factor is a name for equanimity consisting in the mode of neutrality in cognizant states described thus. He develops the equanimity enlightenment factor depending on relinquishment. Equanimity of energy is a name for the equanimity otherwise known as neither over-strenuous nor over-lax energy, described thus. From time to time he brings to mind the sign of equanimity. Monty, when it says he, he dwells with one quarter of his heart endued with equanimity, with, is that the, the four divine abidings? Are they talking about like 25% of each? No, it means um, fixing on one of the directions. The four quarters are the directions. So when practicing the four divine abidings, 
one will pick a direction and say, all beings to the West, may they all be happy, free from suffering. Or in this case with equanimity, all beings in the West are uh, heirs to their kamma, you know, they have their kamma, their, their deeds as their refuge, etc., etc. Okay, thank you. Equanimity about formations is a name for equanimity consisting in neutrality about apprehending, reflection, and composure regarding the hindrances, etc. Described thus, how many kinds of equanimity about formations arise through concentration? How many kinds of equanimity about formations arise through insight? Eight kinds of equanimity about formations arise through concentration. Ten kinds of equanimity about formations arise through insight. Equanimity as a feeling is a name for the equanimity known as neither pain nor pleasure, described thus. On the occasion on which a sense-sphere profitable consciousness has arisen, accompanied by equanimity. Equanimity about insight is a name for equanimity consisting in neutral neutrality about investigation, described thus. What exists, what has become, that he abandons and he obtains equanimity. Equanimity as specific neutrality is a name for equanimity consisting in the equal efficiency of conascent states. It is contained among the or whatever states beginning with zeal. Equanimity of jhana is a name for equanimity producing impartiality towards even the highest bliss described thus. He dwells in equanimity. Purifying equanimity is a name for equanimity purified of all opposition and so consisting in uninterestedness in stilling opposition described thus. The fourth jhana, which etc. etc. has mindfulness purified by equanimity. Herein, six-factor equanimity, equanimity as a divine abiding, equanimity as an enlightenment factor, equanimity as a specific neutrality, equanimity of jhana and purifying equanimity are one in meaning, that is equanimity as specific neutrality. Their difference, however, is one of position, like the difference in a single being as a boy, a youth, an adult, a general, a king, and so on. Therefore, of these it should be understood that equanimity as an enlightenment factor, etc., are not found where there is six-factored equanimity, or that six-factored equanimity, etc., are not found where there is equanimity as an enlightenment factor. And just as these have one meanings, so also equanimity about formations and equanimity about insight have one meaning too, for they are simply understanding classed in these two ways according to function. Just as when a man has seen a snake go into his house in the evening and has hunted for it with a forked stick, and then when he has seen it lying in the grain store, and has looked to discover whether it is actually a snake or not, and then by seeing three marks has no more doubt, and so there is neutrality in him about further investigating 
whether or not it is a snake. So too, when a man has begun insight, and he sees with insight knowledge the three characteristics, then there is neutrality in him about further investigating the impermanence, etc., of formations, and that neutrality is called equanimity about insight. But just as when the man has caught hold of the snake securely with the fourth stick and thinks, how shall I get rid of the snake without hurting it or getting bit by it? Then, as he is seeking only the way to get rid of it, there is neutrality in him about the catching hold of it. So too, when a man, through seeking the three characteristics, sees the three kinds of becoming as if burning, then there is neutrality in him about catching hold of formations. And that neutrality is called equanimity about formations. What were the three kinds of becoming? That would be becoming uh, in the sensual sphere, becoming in the uh, form Brahma sphere, and becoming in the formless Brahma sphere. Oh, thank you. So when equanimity about insight is established, equanimity about formations is established too. But it is divided into two in this way according to function. In other words, according to neutrality about investigating and about catching hold. Equanimity of energy and equanimity as feeling are different, both from each other and from the rest. So of these kinds of equanimity, it's equanimity of jhana that is intended here, that has the characteristics of neutrality. Its function is to be unconcerned. It is manifested as uninterestedness. Its proximate cause is the fading away of happiness. Uh, here it may be said, is this not simply equanimity as specific neutrality in the meaning and that exists in the first and second jhanas as well? So this clause, he dwells in equanimity, or to be stated of those also, why is it not? It may be replied, because its function is unevident, are, because its function is un unevident there since it is overshadowed by applied thought and the rest. But it appears here with a quite evident function, with the with head erect as it were, because it is not overshadowed by applied thought and sustained thought and happiness. That is why it is stated here. The commentary on the meaning of the clause, he dwells in equanimity, is thus complete, completed in all its aspects. Okay, let's stop there then. And we'll can come back in 5-10 minutes to do Pali. <laughs> 